Good morning, everyone. Um, Our reading this morning is from 2 Peter, uh, chapter 1, starting at verse 12. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honour and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Thanks, Ella. And good morning again. Good to see you. Uh, I know you have to put up with me again. Uh, I think Jared must have been desperate. Uh, And so here I am. But it's great to be with you. And if you were here a couple of weeks ago, I started in 2 Peter. I thought, well, may as well keep going since it might still be fresh in your memories. Uh, And so we're going to look at the second half of that chapter this morning. Before we do that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of your word. That it's not just words on a page. It's not just something written long ago uh, by um, spiritual people. But as we are reminded, even in this passage, that it is by the power of the Spirit that we have your word, and it is by the power of the Spirit we can understand your word. And so we do pray you might speak to us this morning through your word, in the power of your Spirit, for your glory's sake. Amen. Sometimes there is just no substitute for being right. Uh, Of course... Those kinds of people, and you probably know them, the people who who seem to be right all of the time can be really annoying kind of people. But but if they happen to be your heart surgeon or your tax consultant or your skydive instructor, (laughs) you really, really, really want them to be right, at least in that way. Because your livelihood depends on it, possibly your life depends on it, on them being right. And of all the questions uh, and issues that we need to make sure we get right and find the right people who will tell us the right things, the one that stands above them all, the one that not only your life depends on, but your eternal life, everything that will happen not just up to your death, but beyond that, the, the very thing that, it, that your life depends on is getting the, the question right about Jesus. And specifically, is the Bible right about Jesus? Because if it is right, then you need to do something about it. Your eternal life depends on it. And that's what the Apostle Peter, who wrote this letter we're looking at today, is saying, essentially. He's saying there's no substitute for being right about Jesus. Because to be wrong about Jesus could destroy you forever. 
which leads us to one of the reasons why Peter was writing this letter, which, which uh, Ella read a moment ago. See, false teachers had slipped in amongst these Christians that he was writing to, uh, people who were teaching them something different to what Jesus had given uh, the apostles. And they were secretly and, uh, and quietly, slowly moving people away from a right understanding of who Jesus is into something else. And people were becoming confused or they weren't even realizing that actually the kind of thing that they understood about Jesus was not right anymore. Chapter 1 and verse 16, chapter 2 verse 1 tells us that this was happening amongst the people in this congregation that Peter was writing to. And that's why he's writing. He's so desperate for them to be sure and to know what is right. Because if they don't get it right, their eternal destiny is at stake. Now, we don't know exactly the details of what these false teachers were teaching. On one level, it doesn't really matter. We don't really need to know. But what we can be sure of is that they were twisting the teachings of Jesus, that they were in some way uh, scoffing at the idea that Jesus is coming back again to judge the world. Je uh, Peter was saying, and he says in this section and in chapter 2 and 3, that yes, Jesus is coming back. He will judge the world. He will judge all of us, great and small. But these false teachers scoffed at that very idea. Maybe they were saying something along the lines of, you know, don't worry about this talk about future judgment. Uh, you know, when I was a young Christian, I used to believe these things, but, but I've become more spiritual as I've grown. And, I, and I've left behind those kind of elementary teachings that, that are, are, you know, for the simple-minded. But now as I've grown in my faith and as I've grown in my spirituality, I realize that actually God is a tolerant God. He's a loving God. Jesus loves everyone. And he just wants everyone to come into his kingdom. I mean, isn't that what Jesus says himself? And, and, and so there's not going to be a judgment day. Don't worry about that. We'll all get there in the end. It doesn't matter what you believe. Because all that God is concerned about is your sincerity. As long as you have a sincere heart. As long as you, you care about things. As long as you care about people and, and are loving. Well, that, that will count. And one day God will just say, you know, um, I know you didn't quite get it right about Jesus, but that's okay. You can come into my kingdom because I know at, at heart you're actually a really good person. Those are the kinds of things that, well, you might even hear in some churches today, that that's the way they talk about Jesus. The question is then, who is right about Jesus? Is the Bible and what Peter has to say right or should we have moved on to higher spirituality? These are the kinds of things we have to make sure we get right. Because the consequences of getting it wrong are not just embarrassing. They are devastating. They could destroy us forever. Sometimes there's just no substitute for being right. And when it comes to what you believe about Jesus, you have to be absolutely sure that you've got it right. And that's why Peter writes this. That's why for Peter it's such an urgent issue. That's why we need to hear what Peter has to say. Because in Peter's case, verse 12 to 15 in that little section, he knows his time is short. You may remember a few weeks ago, if you were here, uh, I mentioned how, how Peter is aware 
that he is going to die soon for his faith, that he would be martyred for trusting in Christ, for teaching the right things about Jesus. And because he knows his time is short, he wants to make sure these Christians he's writing to are on the right page. And so he says in verse 12, I want you to be established in the truth that you have. That is the truth about Jesus. He says, I want to stir you up by way of reminder. He wants to make sure that, that they hold on to these things and don't forget them. He says in verse, th- uh, in verse 15, I want you to be able at any time to recall these things. That's how important it is. We need, these are things that we need to know. Uh, you, can, you can know a whole lot of things in this world. You can be right about a whole lot of things. But if you're not right about Jesus, all of that other stuff doesn't count. So what is Peter going to say to convince us that Jesus is true, that what he has to say about Jesus is right? Well, that's what this next little part of the chapter is about. And, and essentially, he, he shows us uh, two ways in which we can have confidence in what, Jesus, uh, in what the Bible says about Jesus is right and true. And the first one is this, that we have the word of the apostles. We have the word of the apostles. That's verse 16 to 18 that we'll be concentrating on. Uh, Peter says, uh, as an apostle, which he is, this sets him apart from other people. Verse 16, he says, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty or his majestic glory as he goes on to talk about uh, like jared was saying last week if you were if you were with us at at Madevale last week uh for that great celebration um for uh Owen coming in and becoming uh, an elder uh you may remember that uh, that jared was preaching from one john which says a very similar thing uh, there's another apostle apostle john who who speaks about his connection to jesus that he saw him he touched him, he lived with him, he, he heard his teaching, he witnessed his miracles, he saw him rise from the dead. He was there. He was an eyewitness of his majestic glory. And that is one of the reasons why John and Peter are apostles. It's not the only reason, but one of the reasons they were an apostle is because they were eyewitnesses. They were with Jesus at the time. And they were unique. Not everybody at that time who was an eyewitness became an apostle. Uh, No, it was those whom Jesus himself set apart. So in John chapter 16, you may remember uh, in that upper room, the night before Jesus died, he he shares a lot of information with his, his disciples who are there. And he tells them that he has set apart these men, these 11 men, and soon there would be a 12th one added, He has set them apart and that he would send to them the spirit of truth who would guide them into all truth, John chapter 16. That that he would enable these men, these specific men, to recall all that Jesus had taught them so that it could be recorded for everyone else to know. That that is part of what the spirit would do. In their case. Now that made them special. It gave them a unique authority. 
they weren't special because they were special people you know they were super good or super amazing people they were just ordinary people but jesus set them apart for a specific task that they were given authority to to teach and to write down all that jesus had taught them as they were guided by the holy spirit to do so and so once their testimony was written down and once the new testament was completed because that's what it is the apostolic testimony well then after they died their special authority died with them it was no longer required for the church to have apostles anymore because all that we need to know about Jesus that is right and true has been written down for us in the scriptures. That's what Peter is saying. And that, that means if anybody comes to you and says, I'm an apostle and I've been given a special word from God and you can't find it in this word, don't listen to them. Don't trust them. Because the apostles completed the task that Jesus gave them. They've recorded everything we need to know about Jesus. And now we have their testimony that we can look at. It also means that, that when I stand up here or when Jared comes and preaches or when Joe comes to tell you things about Jesus up here, no matter who comes and, and has an authority, as it were, to tell you about Jesus, our authority is not on the level of the scriptures. No, our authority is derived from the scriptures. Everything we teach should come from God's word. And that means you can challenge us when we're not preaching from God's word. You, you should open your Bible with us when you feel that we have misled or, or we've misunderstood what the Bible is saying because we are men who, who preach here are men under the authority of the scriptures, not above the authority of the scriptures. And so if we ever depart from the teaching uh, the apostolic teaching, if we ever uh, say anything that, is, that doesn't align with that, then we have nothing good to say to you. Well, nothing good for your salvation, nothing worth trusting in that will save you on that last day. At best, just ignore us. Uh, but otherwise, come and correct us because we are just men like you. Well, we're just human beings. And we, are, we, are, we do not have the special authority that the apostles had that Jesus gave to them. But how can we be so sure then that what the apostles wrote down that long ago, how can we be so sure that it's right, that it can be trusted, that what they had to say about Jesus was true? I mean, after all, it's really difficult to trust anybody these days. Um, you, you know, I don't know about you, but I, I seem to be getting these, these emails all the time about long-lost relatives from Nigeria who, who just want to kind of share their wealth with me if only I'd give them my bank details. Uh, and, and, you know, a lot of people are duped into believing things that aren't true. How can we trust the apostles? How can we trust that they weren't out to get us, to get our bank details and take our money? Well, for one thing, we need to remember that the apostles came to sell, in a sense, a, a lifestyle characterized by honesty and integrity and truth. The truth about Jesus was so important to the apostles, to Peter, to John, to all of the apostles, that they committed themselves to telling us about that truth and standing on that truth, even when it meant that they would be persecuted 
tortured and killed for that truth. And to their dying breath, they stood for what they believed in. They never broke ranks. None of them broke ranks and said, well, actually, you know, this wasn't really true. We were just kind of, it was a big joke. Ha ha, can you get the joke? No, they all were prepared to die for the truth about Jesus, that he, he did rise again from the dead, that they saw him and that they trust in him, that he is the only one who can save us from death itself, because he's the only one who's conquered death. That means we don't treat their, their stories as cleverly devised myths, as Peter puts it in verse 16, as he compares the false teachers. Of course, we do need to carefully consider what they've said, but if what they have said is true, that if Jesus truly is coming back, coming back in glory, then we need to sit up and take notice. In verse 17 and verse 18, Peter recalls one of the most significant events that stood out to him in Jesus' life. Not the most significant, but one of them. It was that time when he and two other apostles, James and John, went up onto a mountain. Jesus invited them with him, and there he was transfigured. He, he revealed to them his glory. Uh, Jesus is this glorious, great God. And yet, on earth, his glory was disguised in human flesh. On that mountain, Jesus reveals who he truly is to them in blinding, dazzling glory. He's transfigured. And a, a voice from heaven spoke. It was God himself saying, this is my son. Listen to him. And that's what, what Peter's drawing our attention to. He was there. He saw this. He heard the voice. But that transfiguration wasn't just a picture of Jesus' glory. It was a picture of his coming glory as well. It's a picture of what he is going to look like on the day he returns to judge the world. It's a picture and proof that he really is God's own son. And when we talk about that, when, 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 uh, when that voice was, uh, that spoke from heaven, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, that's drawing our attention to a psalm, Psalm 2. A psalm in which all the nations of the world are, are, are rebelling against God in heaven. And he installs his son, the king, who will rule over them all. And it's a picture, particularly when you get to the end of that psalm, that judgment is coming, that one day every knee will bow to this king. And if you will not do it now, if you will not kiss the son, as, as the psalmist puts it, you will be destroyed in his wrath. But if you come to the son and find refuge in the son, you will be rescued on that day. So that's what really we, we want to make sure that we are right about, is that this Jesus is that son, and he truly is. He is the one who can, and the only one, who can offer you hope and peace and forgiveness and a fresh start. But more than that, on the day he returns to judge the world, he is the one in whom you can take refuge and be saved. How do we know that's true? We know it's true because the word of the apostles is true and it's worth believing. And the word of the apostles is the word of God. 
Peter knows that 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 the uh, what the apostles have written down is not just you know something they remember about Jesus an old story no, that that this is scripture on the level of of the word of God itself and and he he draws attention to that in this letter as well right at the end I'll just briefly give you a, a, a quick look at the end of the book and that's in chapter 3 and verse 15 where Peter uh, draws attention to another apostle to the apostle Paul and in verse 15 he says we, we count the patient, uh, patience of our Lord as salvation just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him as he does in all his letters when he speaks about these matters there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. What Paul wrote down is scripture, he says. You know, people distort Paul's words just like they do with the other scriptures, the other parts of God's word. And so here is, again, a reminder of the apostolic authority that they were eyewitnesses who saw Jesus in his glory. And so what they have written down for us is true. And if it is true, then it means that what they have to say about Jesus is true. Sometimes there's just no substitute for being right, especially when it comes to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. So listen to the apostolic word. But we don't just have the apostolic word, we also have, we don't just have the word of the apostles, we also have the word of of the prophets, which is verse 19 to 21. And here in verse 19, Peter says, we have something more sure, the prophetic word to which you would do well to pay attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place. And in this section, it seems that what Peter is referring to is, is not just the word in general, but to the Old Testament word, the Old Testament prophets. Uh, in in, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 10, so that's Peter's previous letter, he said that it was through the Holy Spirit that the prophets of old uh, predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. And they longed to look into these things. Angels longed to look into these things, but we are the ones who are the recipients of it. We are the ones who see the, the fulfillment of those prophecies. And so I think he's drawing attention to that, that here are these prophecies made more sure in other words, the Old Testament prophets who, who wrote uh, the Old Testament and, and, and gave us God's word, they weren't just speaking about their own generation, which they, they were speaking to their own generation, but they were also speaking about the future, about what would happen when God's king, the Messiah, comes. And that, that uh, he would, would be the one who would fulfill all the prophecies. And of course, when Jesus came, he did. He fulfilled all their prophecies, incredibly. I mean, this is an incredible thing to go and look at if you've never done before, to go and explore, to look at these prophecies and look at how Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of each and every one of them. And there are hundreds of prophecies. It's not just, you know, somebody vaguely got something right about Jesus and kind of waved their hands a bit and you go, oh, I suppose if you look at it in the right light, it could be Jesus. I mean, these are specific and clear that it is Jesus. And often written hundreds, even thousands of years before he came. Just one to throw you away uh, as Easter approaches. Read Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is an incredible psalm to read in the light of Easter. 
but I'll leave that with you. Uh, the, the incredible thing is we have these prophecies, and now that we have seen that Jesus has fulfilled these prophecies, we know they're true. As Peter puts it, we have something more sure, the prophetic word, and so we should pay attention to it. Now, you may know as well that of those prophecies in the Old Testament, they speak about Jesus not just in his first coming, but they also include in their prophecies his second coming in glory. In fact, they, they often kind of squish them together in such a way that, that it looks like both things are happening at the same time. But, but we know now with Jesus having come that he has is, he is, uh, kind of created a two-stage uh, um, fulfillment to these prophecies, that on the basis of the fact that he came and fulfilled these prophecies, we can know that he truly is coming again in glory. And so we ought to continue to pay attention to this word as a light shining in a dark place. While, while the light of the world, who is Jesus, may have returned to heaven, he has not left us without the light of his word. But one day, as we are told here, the morning star will rise. One day, the Lord himself will return. And when he does, there will be no more need of the scriptures, no more need of of, of the light of God's word anymore. Uh, on that day, I'll be happily out of a job, as most of us who handle the scriptures will be, because then we will have the one who is the light of the world, who is the word himself with us. For now, though, we continue through the darkness of this world with the headlamp of the scriptures uh, that, that is our guide, that, that helps us to know where to go, and guides our feet that we would not trip along the way. And so the scriptures, as Peter reminds us here in verse 20 and 21, they, they weren't just words that floated down on a gold plate. Uh, there wasn't some sort of strange supernatural thing that happened in this, this, this Bible that appeared out of nowhere with, you know, big smoke and dust and fairies. It, it, no, he says the scriptures were written down by real people in real circumstances in history. But as Peter says, they weren't just writing down their own interpretations. They weren't just coming up with stuff, uh, kind of trying to think about, oh, gee, I wonder what God is like. Let me write a few ideas down. No, it was revealed to them that it was through the Holy Spirit they, they uh, wrote these words down. And that's why the Bible is unique. That's why, as Joe was saying earlier, we, we, we hold to the authority of the Scriptures because the Scriptures are unique. It is God's Word. It's not just any book. It is God's book. Men spoke, but through the Holy Spirit, God spoke. It's for, as Paul, another apostle, famously puts it in 2 Timothy 3. All scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so through the scriptures, God speaks. He speaks to us today by the power of the Holy Spirit. Words written long ago by the apostles and the prophets that are all pointing us to Jesus. The prophetic word and the apostolic word, that is the Bible that we have. And all of it is about coming to know God through Jesus Christ and in the power of the Spirit to live according to his ways. 
Now, these things are worth remembering. Why? Because they are right, because they are true. If the Bible is right, and especially if it is right about Jesus coming again, which could happen in any day, could happen even today, if it is right about that, and I believe it is, that Jesus is coming to judge this world and will expose all sin that is hidden, that no one will be able to stand on their own righteousness because none of us are truly pure and holy and righteous. Only God is. Well, then we need to do something about it. We need to do something about it now. We can't say, well, you know, I, could, I, can, I can afford to wait another couple of years. I want to kind of do a few things first. And then maybe I'll think about Jesus as being my Lord and King. I mean, I know these things, but, but, but you know, it doesn't really need to be attended to. Now, we need to make a decision now to say, if the Bible is true, if it is right about what it says about Jesus, then I need to get right with Jesus. I need to make sure that I come to him as he calls me to come to him, to bow the knee to him, to receive him as my Lord and King, because that's the only way I will survive on the day he returns again, because it is he who takes the punishment for my sins in my place and brings new life. That's what we're going to share in the Lord's Supper, what we're going to be reminded of as we share the Lord's Supper in a moment, that, uh, that it is Jesus and Jesus alone who can save me on that day. But don't just take my word for it. Don't just say, well, uh, gee, because I must have gone to Bible college, I must know these things. Go back to the scriptures. That's our foundation. Go back to the word. Don't settle for a second-hand account from the preacher. Or, or don't, don't just listen to what the internet has to say about the Bible or about Jesus. Or whoever the latest YouTube influencer is who, who has something new to share about Jesus Go back to the scriptures, go back to the foundation, go back to the truth, go back to what is right. Because there is sometimes no substitute for being right. And this is the one thing you cannot afford to be wrong about. What Jesus has done, who Jesus is, what he is, he is going to do when he comes to judge the world. So pay attention to this word. We're a church that is committed to, to following this word. Pay attention to it as a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Until the day the Lord himself comes in all his majestic glory and takes us home to be with him. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, the power of your word. We thank you that it's true and trustworthy. We thank you, Lord, that we can know you and come into a right relationship with you through your word, through what it tells us about Jesus. Thank you that, Lord, by your spirit, you open our eyes to see the truth. And so, Lord, we do pray that you may help us all to continue to have confidence in your word, to know that it is true, that we who perhaps today have never really given much thought to the coming again of our Lord Jesus Christ, that, that today we would, we would grab hold of Jesus as our only refuge on that day. Lord, please save. And we, we thank you, Lord, that 
that your word stands uh, and shines out in a dark world, that, that in a world full of confusing messages about what could be true and what might not be true and, and, and trying to figure that out, we, we thank you, Lord, that we have the certainty that your word is true. And so please give us confidence to continue to proclaim it uh, and to live by it and bring glory to your name. In, until the day our Lord returns, give us strength, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.